everybody, welcome back to the Kingsguard podcast. This is episode 13, episode 13. And before we get anything started, first and foremost, uh, Cole, yesterday at the time of this re- of this broadcast, you yesterday was your anniversary. That's right. Right. So 13 years, the Baker's dozen. 13 years. That's right. 13 years. So happy anniversary to you. Thank you happy very anniversary much. to you. Yep. And uh, so big thank you to, uh, to Cole's wife for uh, putting up with the podcast <laughs> and everything that we got going on here. Cause we, it, it takes the podcast. There's a lot of work that goes everything. into this. No, it ain't everything. No, but it, it takes up quite a bit. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but, so uh, I appreciate uh, I appreciate her. Um, and, you know, I was thinking to take Cole, uh, maybe sometime, maybe Valentine's Day or something like that, actually bringing our wives on and letting them be guests. That's pretty cool scary thought sometimes but yeah let's do that yeah. and uh maybe plan something like that but today we got a special guest uh alan ball alan ball we me and cole have known alan uh for quite a while quite a while i can't even remember when we first met actually 1995 95 man i was i was i'm i was tiny then i was little then man so um <laughs> Man, so that is. Uh, I can assure you, Wes, you've never sounded like a tiny person ever. Ever, <laughs> ever right? Yeah. For thirty-six, right? <laughs> so, always been a big personality myself. But yeah, uh, so I want to say the first time we met uh, Alan Ball, um, uh, it was you. Were, were you the youth pastor at Car Township at the time? Yeah, I was. Yep. Yeah. So it was you, um, uh, Pastor Cook. Yep. was the pastor then and then uh eddie ming eddie ming led me to good old, yep. good old eddie ming i remember eddie ming being at uh at family camp there at hoosier hills and then uh at brother duncan's as well every once in a yep. while coming in so um a lot of good memories knowing you guys for a lot known you for a long time um but uh i'm really excited about the episode that we have here uh with alan um we're gonna talk about leadership today um, and, uh, some of the lessons that, that we've learned that I've learned and that he's learned in leadership. And, uh, you, you got a lot of experience that you can bring to that one, just as a pastor, uh, cause you're the pastor at car township now. Um, and then you were a college athlete on top of that. Um, but it's not just that, I mean, you're, you're a father of six, um, correct. And did I get that number right? Yep. Yep. So father of six. And I mean, they're, they're not youngins either, man. They're, they're nope. <laughs> so uh so in, in on top of that you've wrote, written a book uh called uh the construction of a young man and if you haven't read it folks i, I highly recommend you go get that book uh we'll make sure we put a link uh with the uh the podcast description so you guys can go check that out um but i've been going through that there's a lot of good good information it's an easy read it's not big uh the construction of a young man um Real thin book, but very, very easy to read. A lot of good information there. So I highly recommend you guys uh, go check that out. We'll be talking a little bit about that. Um, and the beauty of this is we've got Alan for the next two episodes, right? So um, I'm looking forward to, to hearing what Alan's got to say when it comes to leadership. And then as we get into next week's episode on craftsmanship or um, stewardship, not craftsmanship, but on stewardship and, and how that plays into this. Because I think these two, these two categories, these two topics kind of but really go hand in hand yep. in, in a lot of ways they kind of overlap um so um now you may notice we don't have a man of the week video um so if you guys are out there and you're watching you have an idea for man of the week video just check the, the email at the bottom 
uh, going across on the ticker there, you can submit those, those videos to us there. Um, if it's not a video, it's just a story or something that you want to put up, just let us know and we'll get that plugged in. All right. So man of the week, we need your help with that. Um, let us know what you guys got. Um, but anyway, let's just dive right into the, the conversation um, and, and get going. Talking about lessons of leadership. So the first question, and Alan, you being the guest, we'll just throw this to you first and get your, your opinion. Uh, th- there's a lot of conversation about what a leader is. Um, everybody's got their opinion. Um, they're like armpits, you know. Uh, so what is Alan Ball's definition of leadership? I'm a... I'm a dictionary definition guy. I mean, and the definition is a guide or conductor. Um, man, and I just wrote down a few notes uh, when when you guys kind of give me the run of show. And uh, I guess as I've observed leadership in my life, it really is someone that uh, is not looking to get out in front of the largest line, but really has uh, some character and uh, integrity and uh, just does right even in the face of wrong and when he's doing right and others doing right he blends in uh, and he can be a he can be a lion or he could be a labrador he can be a second man or a first man and and uh, leadership obviously comes in all kinds of forms i think it's recognizing the the greatness of other leaders but at the same time being able to glean from their uh, examples so that you can better yourself as well. We should always be a student as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I would agree with that. I would agree with that. I mean, I think integrity plays a big part of it, you know, um, with, with that, cause you need the credibility in order to lead properly. Um, so my screen just froze up cause I had a phone call come in. I use my, my iPhone as the camera. So everybody, now everybody wants to call me while we're recording the podcast. So that's great. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, we're just going to keep rolling with it. So, but, um, yeah. So who are some leaders that you look to, like some, some guys that have influenced you in your leadership style, um, whether it's at the church or. Well, and, or I won't, and I won't say long, but my, uh, my dad is, I have a military kid and, uh, my, I'm really the, the product, uh, I'm a first child and, uh, born in Japan and my, and my dad was in the military. So the first, the formative years of my life, were dominated by his structure, uh, his intensity. Uh, at the same time, he was uh, had high integrity, uh, super moral, and uh, and my my dad was my hero. I wanted to be my dad when I grew up. Uh, everybody loved him. I wanted to be loved by people, um, and he didn't shatter that uh, as I aged either. And uh, I mean, every dad falters and uh, he worked through that but I learned about forgiveness and this was all pre knowing Christ as my savior but then uh, I was surrounded by uh, and I could list names but by my coaches were leaders that uh, my dad attracted uh, those kind of personalities and so he put me on teams with those kind of personalities and and I respond to that intense in your face kind of uh, go get it um, uh, I would, I, I really probably shouldn't use the word self-confidence, but I did not lack self-confidence. And, uh, but that was, that was built there, uh, through my parents. It wasn't something I just possessed, you know, it's something that they, they built in me. And, 
they expect me they expected me to expect a lot of myself right right uh what was uh what was the the defining moment where with, with whether it was with your dad or whoever where you were like okay absolutely that's that's the kind of leader that i want to be um when i was in high school uh we got a new high school coach my sophomore year and uh he mirrored my dad uh, he wasn't looking to be a friend of everybody he was looking to lead uh, a basketball team and he was very structured we had handouts probably about 20 pages to memorize and it was full of expectations and uh, I thrive under that uh, under structure and so it made my life very simple I didn't have to question where I should be when I should be there when I should be home where I should go who I should date none of those things the paperwork described all of those things and and Lewis let me stri- let me grow inside of that um, I was I was probably a passive kid up through junior high and um, just by really, I say, God-given talent, uh, I just was gifted athletically. And because of that, it propelled me in sports, which then led to a lot of those uh, discoveries uh, in myself. Uh, I still don't consider myself a great leader. I'm still still adapting and learning and reading uh we just got back from family camp and I see how much I fail as a husband. And so I'm not going to beat myself up too long about it. I'm going to change directions and do better. Right. You said you mentioned that word adaptability. We talked a little bit about that uh, as we were getting ready to hit record uh, and, uh, and lead into the podcast. Um, how important in your life has adapted the, the ability to adapt uh, whether it's your leadership style, your philosophy of leadership, or, you know, um, even your stance on certain subjects, how important has your ability to adapt been um, as a leader and as a father, or even as a husband? I'm, my wife's sitting over here in the background, and I've been addressing some of these things on Sunday night, but, <laughs> but I, think I'm, I think I'm always right. Uh, I, don't think I, I, don't, I, think, I don't think I make any mistakes. Um, but whenever those things, when they are proposed to me, then, then I, uh, I think you condition yourself uh, like an athlete to take instruction, even if it's very critical. And uh, I've got a few mottos. One is I don't take criticism from somebody I wouldn't take advice from. And then... Um, because there's a lot of you got to be thick skinned uh, in life and in the ministry. But at the same time, I want to be very sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And I would say of all of the leaders that lead me, it would be not just God's word, but then the Holy Spirit to uh, to know when to be quiet, when to move, when to when to go forward, uh, when to change, when you're wrong, all of those kind of things. And uh, God has placed those men. Tom Craig's was one of those men. He was my mentor between Tom Cook and pastoring. And he was just a very knowledgeable but humble human being. And uh, but yet he was the he was the uh, father of the Jefferson County busing system, which was thousands of people. And he organized and created that. And so uh, in his humility, he had great wisdom all at the same time. 
Yeah, so I, I, I you, you hit on a couple of things as far as when it comes to adaptability, especially being able to take criticism. Um, so let me ask you this, because I've seen this as, as, a, as a manager, as, a, as an employer, as a leader in the workforce. I've even seen this as a, as a leader in the military. Um, and even as a subordinate in the military, I've seen, I've seen this from leaders who just can't take criticism. Or, and where it comes from is like you, you, you criticize certain, a certain aspect of, of something that they did, whether that's intended to be constructive or it's just you're just whining for the sake of whining. Um, but uh, it's almost like it's this how dare you tell me I did something wrong kind of attitude, you know. Um, for example, I've got one, I've, I've mentioned it on the podcast before I had, I told one of my employees that, you know, he wanted to do, uh, wanted to work in security, wanted to be, wanted to make a career. And, uh, he, he left a gate unlocked or something like that. And I said, Hey man, I want you to write an essay on just a short essay on the importance of physical security. And then when I mentioned that, I was like, how dare you? I'm not, I'm not in high school. Like, Okay, so we're, we're just going to throw professional development out the window. But like, how do yeah. you get around that those times where somebody, like you said, you know, it's you don't take criticism from someone you don't take advice from. But how do you react to someone who gives you that criticism when it's one unwanted, uh, two unwarranted, or it's just completely outlandish that it's just like, okay, whatever. Yeah, I'm a I'm I'm very mathematical. That's my degree set. So I'm a compartmentalization guy. So uh, if you say something that's I can throw away, I put it in a com- compartment that can be burnt, and uh, I burn that down and carry on. Um, I think if I read it in God's Word and and God begins to work in my heart, then I hear it in preaching, and then somebody physically says it. You know, I've taken those three things by that time and realized, look, God's trying to tell me something, and I'm I'm pretty stubborn uh, but at that that time then I will typically preach on it because that's the way I can get into the word and make it mathematical and make an outline kind of attack my weaknesses and and try to go forward right right so ha- what is some advice that you would give like how, how do guys become more receptive to that criticism whether it's whether it, I mean, it could be on anything but like what's something that uh, like a young man can do um, in order to condition himself, like you said. So if me, if me, you and Paul are sitting here uh, in this conversation and we're having an outside conversation, I, I think with my Sunday school class, uh, I tell them first to think the best of people. So if somebody's criticizing you, always take it first in light that they want to make you better. Uh, typical criticism, unless it's just out of anger, is peppered with truth. So just condition yourself to learn to hear. The Bible says quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. And so take it in. Uh, I think the in the book of James it says that the Word of God is first peaceable, and it's pure, and then it uses the language it's easily entreated. And I, I think the criticizer should learn uh, that word entreated there means palatable. Uh, the criticizer should learn how he can give criticism where the person being criticized can digest uh, that criticism, chew it up and swallow it. And so there's a way to do it. I'm a, I'm a, 
a prideful man. So don't do it in front of other men. Uh, I don't want to be littled. Uh, I, I want to be instructed and directed. And then I will take that kind of criticism. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would say I'm the same way. Uh, probably on both ends. So like I, I tend to be when, when I receive criticism, I'm, I'm, I'm very much like you. There, there's times where I can just take it, throw it, compartmentalize it. Throw it. There's times where it's just my, I let my pride get, me, you know, and whether it was meant for ill or not, I let my pride and my ego get, get the better of me. And then that's, that's, I let my reaction be based off of that rather than, you know, like I said, compartmentalize it. If I could use it, use it. And if not, chuck it out the window. Um, but at the same time, I also find myself on the other side as a leader where I'm, I'm offering that feedback or that criticism where I tend to be very, very direct and very open. Cole, you wouldn't know this about me at all, you know, uh, that I can be, you know, almost uh what's a good word for it um temperamental old blunt old <laughs> cantankerous right blunt right yeah uh you're so, right uh, this is right. coming as such a shock. brand new information to you right now everybody who's watching this podcast you know it's be like whatever um but uh i tend to be very very direct in fact when i hire people i, I always tell them like look I'm, I'm very very direct i'm gonna tell you exactly how i see things and i don't mean it to be condescending it's just that's how i communicate and i just need you to understand like that's it's not coming from a place of ill will i want to make it better but at the same time you know i haven't learned tact yet you know and in fact i remember if he's watching chris spence he's he was one of my team sergeants way back when um it's one of the things that he tried to teach me so much and uh i may have gotten a little bit of it but i'm still working on it haven't learned it yet. Tact is not my strong suit. I just want to, hmm. I want to, I want to get it out, talk about it, um, make the corrections and then be done so that we can move on. Right. Um, but that, that's one area that I kind of, <laughs> that I really struggle with is just, you know, my dad maybe, growing up told me over and over, you have no tact. He would say, you speak the truth, but you have no tact. And now I'm a pastor. So, yeah. <laughs> and I think yeah. that probably, it's worth mentioning um, the seed of everything you, you two are talking about here is um, the, the inability of us as leaders when we're in our leadership role to lose control. And I actually started writing a song about that many years ago. It's called Just Lose Control. And, um, you know, on, on the flip side of that, you know, we don't want to be unstable. We don't want to not have a plan. We don't want to not have a vision. Proverbs says where there is no vision, the people perish. And so what happens is we, these alpha, you know, style guys like ourselves catch a vision and we're ready and we we're ready to charge it and just move forward at a hundred miles an hour. And who cares who's on board with me, who's not on board with me. And all I can really consider right now is the goal ahead. Uh, it isn't the goal plus uh, protect my testimony or protect uh, the people of my family from enduring hardship during this goal achieving exercise. And so that's the thing that I think we have to be so concerned with is to make sure that our our inability to serve in the midst of our leadership, which, of course, you must have a servant's heart in order to. Um, to be a good leader. Christ mm -hmm. modeled that when he was washing people's feet. And, and I mean, he was going to be crucified on a cross. And the, if you if you really look at some of the things he took time to do, oh, I mean, I wouldn't be bothered with that. And clearly I'm in the wrong here. <laughs> so um, 
it's it's like very humbling to think about um, the other side of being a leader. I'm taking guitar lessons right now, and I haven't done that in years. And and um, I just there's some things that I've wanted to learn, and some things I've wanted to progress on. And the, probably my greatest talent is music. And and so for me, uh, one of the bigger barriers here was you know well, I'm good enough, man. I know how to do this stuff. I've been doing it for years. I can do it while I'm sleeping, but I found someone who was better than me at something and I wanted to learn it. And I came to him super humble and said, I don't know what you know. I want you to criticize me. And that was a big step. Why? Because I wasn't learning a new skill. I was taking my greatest skill and making it better. And so my point with this is to our listeners, and as these gentlemen talk about criticism, and sure, you're right. You don't want somebody who doesn't know anything about music criticizing your guitar playing. That's not what we're talking about. But when you get around somebody who you know is a different type of iron than you, better or not, that's relative. But when you get around somebody that you know and that you trust, that is a different kind of iron than you, let them sharpen you for a while. And don't get, don't let your attitude stand in the way of your growth as a leader, because I'm here to tell you, and we talked about this with brother Mike Barnett, you can take on all of these great attributes of all these other leaders around you. If you'll humble yourself mm -hmm. and allow yourself to be criticized. But what here, what, here's what we do. We stake our claim on this talent or this skill, and nobody can tell us anything about it from mm -hmm. that point forward. And it's, that's an insecurity thing because if we're not the best, we failed because we have to, this society around us tells us if you're not Michael Jordan at something, you failed life. Yep. <laughs> and here's you know, the thing. I mean, with Michael Jordan, how much criticism did he take before? he? Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. And even then he had like, and this is where people fail to understand that level of excellence. And if you want to call it greatness, he's constantly opening himself up to, okay, what is it that I can do to get better? And this is, this is what we're talking about. That criticism there, you know, when it comes from somebody like me, where I'm just going to tell you, Hey, this is where you screwed up. And this is what you can do better. Cause I'm going to literally tell you like that. Um, that's how I am. This is where you see that. Cause that's, that's what works for me. Don't mince yep. words with me. Just tell me straight out. You don't like the way I did it. Tell me, you know, um, how did I screw up? What can I do better? How can I improve? And let's move on. Well, but and even going back to the basketball analogy, because Alan and I, we talked about Jordan a lot because we were trying to unravel that Rubik's Cube of how did Jordan stay great? He wasn't just great, but I think it was either Alan or some other guys. We were talking about Jordan, and we brought up the idea that the first half of his career, he went through you. He went over you. He didn't strategize much because he could jump 48 inches standing flat-footed. But what happened when he got to be 32, 33, and he, he said, okay, now I need to, to shoot a different – now I'm going to fade away for about three seconds, and I don't care what you do. I'll hang up out here in the air as long as I need to to get that ball over your hands so you can't defend it. So my point is, is even Michael Jordan said, you know what? Uh -oh. be I'm not the best. Yeah, I'm not the best yeah. anymore at that. I can't do yep. this. Clyde Drexler and some of these other guys, they're getting older. And LeBron has done the same thing. You when you when you learn 
to be good a different way at something, you can maintain your greatness a longer period of time. And so I think there's value in understanding that, you know, you're not going to learn this all up front and just have it with you. It is an ever climbing ladder to maintain greatness as a leader. And it can be, you know, we talk about uh, studying to show ourselves approved unto God, uh, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the words of truth. Uh, there are things I learn when I study scripture now. I've studied scripture for many years, and I feel like I am still a babe in Christ in so many areas because God is just putting me back through that fire, melting things mm -hmm. down, repurifying. And so when we talk about this idea of leadership, there's still a little bit of that squire or there, there's still a little bit of that, you know, amateur or dare I say, you know, protege aspect to it, no matter what you do, you're always going to be a beginner at what you are trying to achieve. Uh, there's a, there's a story about Alfred the Great. Um, when the Vikings finally sacked Winchester and they, they were coming in and, and he went under, he went into hiding. And uh, the story goes that he was, he was living with some, some lady, some widow lady. And uh, he was pouting and sulking because he had lost most of his kingdom, right? And uh, she asked him while he was sitting there to watch. She was baking bread. She's like, just watch the bread, make sure it doesn't burn. Well, he, he got the pouting so much, right? Not paying attention. She came back, the bread was burnt. She just, I mean, this is the king. She just tore him a new one, right? <laughs> it said, how dare you let my bread burn? You know, and uh, he he did get a little haughty. He started, you know, well, I'm the king. She's like, oh, you're not the king in my house. <laughs> it's like here right now. I told you watch that bread. You didn't watch the bread. You can't do if you can't do that basic thing. What good are you to me? And it changes his entire attitude. And so, like, if you look at Alfred the Great, his entire reign was about what? Like, yeah, he was a he was a great warrior. He was a great military strategist. He did all of these great things, famous for defeating the Vikings and, and driving and, and, and ending the Viking wars and ending the Viking advance into, into England. But you know what he's most famous for? Developing education systems for his people. Hmm. Because he wanted them to be better. That was his way of serving. You know, he want and, and not just that, he, he looked at the fact that most of them couldn't read and said, no, I can't, I can't. I can't call myself a good king if I haven't done something to help them improve the literacy rate here and help the people, the common people, be able to read like everything else. So he translated everything that was because Latin was the thing, man. Everything was written in Latin. He translated everything from Latin into Old English, into the, the, the language at the time, into the common language to include the Bible. Right? We like to talk about Gutenberg and all of that, but he was the first one to order it. Hey, this is what we're going to do. Right. He had a, but he wanted to make his people better, right? And so, but I, I think where it started with with guys like that, because we talk about leadership and their ability to adapt, but to adapt, you have to have a plan of where you're going to go, right? So, Alan, let, how how important it, from 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 your point of view, especially as a pastor, and from some of the the other experiences that you had, how important is is it? to sit down and, and get a vision written on not just, Hey, this is where I want to take my family or where I want to take my church. How, how important is it for a man to write down? Hey, this is where I want to be as a man. I've always ran from lists. 
because they breed accountability. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you don't have a list, you can forget to do some things and you don't feel bad about it. But uh, I've just find in my personal life, and it's taken a lot of years that I accomplish more if I have a list and I sleep on those lists. I wake up on those lists in the last five years, I probably accomplished more and I have in the first 15 years just because of lists. And I think, it, I mean, it's cliche, but if you don't know where you're going, uh, it's hard to map out a, a list. And so, yeah, a vision or a direction or where you want to be. I think in the ministry, um, what I thought would take me a lifetime happened in the first five years of my ministry. And so I really, I really uh, faltered in the next five years and where to go next. Uh, the steps of faith that would be next would maybe be greater than I could do on my own. And trusting mm-hmm. people has always been an issue of mine. And uh, it looks like faith, but it usually is just contained within the regions of things that I can do. And, uh, and so they, they are important. Um, we have chore lists for our kids. We have expectations, you know, for our church uh, and not getting into the guise of legalism, but just, just there, they are, the expectations are there to help us whenever we're struggling in our walk with God, not the expectation of this is the righteousness of God. We want uh, individual soul liberty. We want each person to be accountable to themselves to serve the Lord. And I want to give them uh, those two tools. I'm not a guilt. I don't ask people to serve through guilt. And so I'd like, they've been saved and given a life of liberty in Christ. And so I really want them to, to reach out and pursue that and be hungry for it. And uh, it wouldn't be, if everybody did it perfectly, it wouldn't be a ministry. Um, And so the ministering of that never ends. Uh, We say, uh, we have, I'm the pastor of the church, so I'm the president of our non-for-profit organization. And so we're, uh, I would say we're more than not a pastoral-led congregation. But I've always tried to keep the idea that we are, we're pastor led, but we are deacon served and congregational approved. So I don't go against the grain. If everybody says no, and I say, yes, I, I'm going to reevaluate now, not that I'm a pushover, but at the same time, uh, I realize I, without people, I really don't have a church. And, uh, yeah. and so I'm going to adhere to some, some of the doctrines that I think are cardinal and essential. Uh, I'm not going to waver on those. Uh, but at the same time, I'm not going to build my fort on mountains that really don't matter and right. end up winning a war the, that kills all my people. And yeah. so just just it takes time and time's the one commodity we can't create, which is that's very frustrating. Yeah, I, I, so, what, vision has kind of been like my 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 watchword over the past like year and a half. You know, when we started the King's Guard ministry, started developing it, it was, you know, discipline was what God kind of worked with me on. And I think leaders need to have disciplines, but and we've talked about, we talked about disciplines. Uh, we talk about it quite a bit, um, but vision uh, lately has really been something that God's been spanking me over. Um, I never really considered the value of writing down 
the vision of what kind of man I think God wants me to be or where I think he wants me to lead my family or what kind of men I think uh, he wants me to raise my sons to be. Right. Um, and I've only recently started working on that, doing, doing those things, writing those things down. Um, and it's, man, it, it was a game changer for me. Writing that vision down and, and not just writing it down. Cause it's like, like you said, Alan, I mean, it's, it's one thing to write the list down, but if I don't, if I don't give that list to somebody or if I don't give that vision to somebody and say, Hey man, this is what I'm looking at doing and what I'm, what I'm looking at accomplishing. You know, I could take that list or that piece of paper, just throw it, throw it in the trash to forget it ever existed. You know, there's no, there's no real accountability, but the minute I give that to somebody else and, and, and it's, the vision is clear, you know, and, and it's, it's, it's plain, you know, as Habakkuk 2.2 says, you know, you can write the vision and make it plain upon table. Um, that way, my brothers, the church, my wife, my family, they can keep me accountable to all of those things. And I'm saying, this is what I want to be. This is the kind of man I want to be. This is the kind of husband I want to be, the kind of father I want to be. This is the kind of leader I want to be. Um, it's easier for them to hold me accountable to those things. And when I've got that accountability and I'm allowing myself and I'm submitting myself to that accountability, I think that's really the key there is, is men don't want to submit themselves to the accountability that comes with, with, that comes with real leadership. If that makes sense, you know, um, yeah. cause that's scary. That level of accountability is terrifying. I mean, I mean, Cole, you, you, you know what this is. We, we've talked about this before. Um, probably I think more privately, um, I've talked about this with my wife cause she grew up in the ministry and, and whatnot, but you know, growing up on the road, like we did, you, you tend to live in a glass house, you know, everybody watching, everybody seeing, uh, exactly what you're going through you know, or what you're doing. You know, any mistake that you make is, is there for everybody to see and chime in on whether they've got a dog in the fight or not. Right. Right. And, uh, Man, that's it's almost debilitating. Well, there's also a pressure to exude perfection, even though you know you don't have it because it's an it's a defense mechanism. Yeah. You know, if I if somebody if somebody finds out something about me, it's going to hurt my dad's reputation or or it'll we won't be able to get this booking because people will will say that Cole wears shorts. Uh, Cole uh, listens to music with drums. And it's so right. funny because I go back to those issues, guys, yeah. and yeah. we laugh about them now, but they were dead serious issues back oh, then. Oh, man. They're not, as, they're not as as big anymore, but for listeners that are listening that, that are kind of new to this, Wes and I went through some I, – I'm just going to call it what it is. We went through a little bit of mental trauma from nonsense back then yeah. because, because men were doing what they thought was right. They didn't. They weren't. There wasn't some evil plot to, to harm the minds of young people. But there was in leadership, as Alan mentioned earlier today, the importance of being very wise about which doctrines and what hills that you as a leader uh, partake in. There were some things that we went through growing up that really, I would say, at least personally, uh, uh, was a was was it, it, it it kind of stunned or stunted my growth as a Christian because I was, I was kind of, uh, as you said, and I I honestly probably wasn't being judged as much as I thought I was, but I totally uh, projected that. 
And so, yes, I completely and totally agree with you. I mean, that our, our, our upbringing in general, I would say is, is very unique. We're going to be able to, 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 to shine some light on some things that, that others haven't gone through, but it might not be relatable for a lot of people. Because if I were to talk to most of my friends about half the issues I went through growing up as a kid, being under the spotlight of the church in that way, they, yep. they would be like, are you serious? Are you insane? This is why rim glasses that was actually talked about, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but it was. And, and so, yeah, I, I agree with what you're saying completely, Wes. I mean, it's, I, I think, and Alan, we, we talked about this a little bit before we, before we started recording, um, you know, the, the detrimental effect that, you know, just you, you mentioned the lack of attention to detail. And I, I think really what it is, I think that's part of it. I think there's, there's a lack of vision and a lack of attention to detail, but also a lack of understanding of how, how that kind of iron thumb kind of rule can affect future generations coming up. There was a lot of, and I was thinking about when Cole was saying that, like how I would form those words, um, camp meetings and uh, preacher fellowships breed a conformity to strong personality instead of, uh, you know, we are local autonomous. I'm an independent Baptist church. Um, If I conform to a personality instead of the person of Christ, um, then in essence, I mean, I understand Mark, those that walk worthy. Uh, there's a, there's a, there's an essence of following, but the three of us have different personalities and experiences. Mm-hmm. And if one of us is the strong personality that everybody conforms to, it's going to smash some people reward some people instead of us, uh, celebrating. I know that sounds kind of wimpy, but celebrating our uniqueness, and uh, the guys I pastor around are they're in large cities and I'm on the back roads on the corner of nowhere and nowhere. And uh, uh, we serve the same Christ, but the what feeds into our churches are very different. And, and a lot of my people wouldn't like their type of ministry and a lot of the people wouldn't like my type of ministry. And yeah. so, like I say, in from that upbringing uh and my kids are the same. Uh, there's a, they have a lot of, when I say self-confidence, I don't mean like arrogance, but they're comfortable in their own skin. And I would say in our population, there's a huge identity crisis. People just don't yeah. know who they are. They are who they've been told to be. Instead of churches did not say, this is why we right. believe this. They said, believe this. And so there was, there's no, uh, function uh to the form we just want form Uh, we want outward expression instead of uh, inward conversion and i think i think you're nailing it brother allen with what you're saying because in in essence what this is leading me to is the idea that a leader has to be able to understand that which his people most needs and not that which this leader wrote a book about and said, do this, this approach will work everywhere. Because as you said, when you mix and match lots and lots of different cultures, 
you are going to come out with one culture that more than likely is trying to dominate all the others. And if you do not follow this type of culture, then you are now not walking worthy, which has nothing to do with that scripture. And okay. it's totally not discerning it because walking worthy has to do with what God says is worthy, not what, what man mm. says is worthy. And so what we're dealing with are standards and preferences. And so why am I mentioning this? Well, I'm mentioning this because there's, there's a, a segment of our, our movement in church that says, well, there's a great falling away. Well, there's also been a great running away of our young people um, because you didn't like how different they were. You know, go figure a 25 year old guy is different than a 65 year old guy. Go figure they're different. They have different life experiences and different mm -hmm. aspirations uh, because that didn't work. Well, now they're going out. They would rather go out there and try to figure something else out on their own instead of being confidently confidently led by a leader who understands and i'm going to give a great example right now and then turn it back over to you guys but there's a guy named brother alan ball right here i'm looking at who understood he figured out a code a church hack i'm just going to say it like that because he looked at his people and he saw how creative and incredible they were in the outdoors and he came up with something. What do you What do you name your annual? Uh, uh, it's event our sports banquet. He sports put together banquet. a. Listen to this, people. He put. I'm telling you, this is one of the greatest examples of a man who saw his people and knew what their hearts would long to utilize in order to reach their community. The first year we did one of those sportsman's banquets, there might have been several dozen of us, but there weren't many of us. Brother, how many did you have last time? 300 this year. Are you having people saved at that that are also joining your church or a church? Yeah, almost every year. Okay. I'm, I'm just going to toot your horn just a little bit. There are very few pastors that would have saw that need and come up with that solution to help the people and that you're because let me tell you something about brother Allen. He gets in there and he knows he's got incredible wild game buffet cooks. I mean, we're talking this church is gifted. They got some chefs extraordinary. He's got people in there who are very gifted at hunting. They're not just, they not just, I'm going to go deer hunting. They are gifted at it. They could be guides. They could be tours. They could, they have this gift. And they put together this huge raffle that you can come and be a part of and guess how many inches this buck has because they've got tax. Okay, I'm just throwing different ideas out here as to how, I'm sorry, but a city slicker leader is, is as much as he loves the Lord, he could have pastored that church for 40 years and never come up with that idea. Well, I mean, let's be honest. I mean, there's, there's not a lot of pastors that right now, well, I mean, maybe not, at least when we were growing up, if you had brought that up to them or that kind of ministry up, I've brought it up they, to them, Wes. Yeah, because I've seen laughed, this. They would have they, laughed they you out of the church. Their shoulder. Yeah. They yeah, don't they want to out of the church. That, well, there's a they they aren't trying to build the church as it's being presented. Because I look at these churches and I'm like, you've got 25 people in here who like to hunt, and I'll, I just know about it because I made a hunting joke when I, in between songs when I was doing a concert. I'm like, you guys are a sportsman's banquet. Yeah, and they, they they're all like wanting to talk about they're all wanting to talk about hunting. And I'm like, you need to have a sportsman's banquet, man. These guys are natural born leaders at that. And so my yeah. point is, 
Alan didn't just say, I want to lead this church. He said, how can I spot what my membership is already good at leading in and help turn them into leaders as well? So in other words, how do we take the potential we have in our church and how do we allow them to get on board with it? And you have done that masterfully well. And I mean, your, your, your work, uh, you know, as a result of that is, is showing such fruit of it. But I wanted to mention that it's not about mm. us. It's not about what we like. It's not about our preferences. It's not about our standards. It's about what God is wanting to do in the lives of our members and of our, you know, surrounding Christian community. So, Alan, what is, in a nutshell, leadership all about? Hmm. Um, you want me to read you what I wrote down? I sure. wrote yeah. down, uh, and I'm getting ready to teach this stuff on Wednesday night. We're in a discipleship course for Wednesdays, and um, and it is Wednesday night for us is uh, making our feet move, you know. So it is the Book of Acts and and doing discipleship type thing. So uh, being a leader, I wrote these three things: uh, your first repeatable. Uh, you're thorough and then it's continual and uh, and so you are uh, we if in my book I say simple commands demand simple obedience um, uh, my dog is laying here at my feet and he sits stays opens the door comes goes gets this get this ball everything is simple commands Jesus taught in parables the disciples ask you know why do you teach in parables and he says you know the mysteries of the kingdom have not been given to others and so uh i love to study and i love to uh preach from that aspect and i have some bible studiers in my church but uh typically in my preaching style is to give the bible studiers a nugget and then put the food down where all the people can eat it and let them find something in the smorgasbord of the word of God that they can take and digest and leave and leave differently than when they come. And then, uh, and then, uh, let me see here. Um, then I want them to, um, I want to say it, uh, then I want to model it. And then I want to, help them uh, figure it out and then turn them loose. And, uh, and there's going to be mistakes made. And, uh, but I asked last night, I said, what do most people say? Uh, what is, what is your greatest teacher? And the greatest teacher was making mistakes. Um, if you don't do anything, you'll never achieve anything, but you'll be safe. And that's what not God's not called us to that. Uh, he's called us to go. And so, see, his commands are simple to go, come. Uh, when we were talking about earlier about the um, prep, prepping stuff, you know, pre-show, um, uh, I, I thought about his commands. Take no thought what you'll eat. Take no thought what you'll drink. Take no thought, you know, wherewith you'll be clothed. And there's a, an aspect of, of uh, I've got, there's 13, I got six kids and, there are three of them married and a couple of grandkids. There's 13 of us, but it's going to take a lot of food and water to feed us for a long time. So there's going to come a point when we're going to begin to, and we're industrious, but we're going to depend on God. And to be honest with you, we're doing it already. Uh, yeah. he, and so that's a, 
that's that process. So I, yeah, I mean, there's some great lessons in leadership there. Um, And you're going to see, for our viewers, you guys are going to see how all of this kind of overlaps into next week's episode on stewardship and how that all plays out. Um, Because it really is just a continuation of what we're talking about now. Um, But I I, keep this in mind. It all starts with a vision. If If you're trying to figure out how to become a leader and how to be, or how to be a better leader, I mean, if you don't have a vision of where you're going, um, you can walk, but that doesn't mean anybody's going to follow you. People don't follow leaders without vision. Um, and I like the so, piece he added into that. He's, he talked about risk, the risk factor, because you're going to fail. But do you want to bury your talent in the ground and end up with it and make sure that you end up with the same thing you started? Or do you want to see that grow? And the only way yeah. you're going to see it grow is risking failure. And yeah. I love that aspect that we hadn't really talked about that, but that was incredible. I mean, you without faith in, involved in something, which of course is is there's always going to be fear of failure with faith because it's hope in things that are unseen, the evidence of things hoped for, and so uh, with Christ, of course, we can be sure of the, the the great plan. But but sometimes, you know, He wants us to get out there and make a few mistakes so that we can see where from whence comes our help, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, because He has to humble us. You know, uh, I, I mean, love that. Lot- it was a good one. There's so many, uh, so many lessons that we put in there. I mean, from, from adaptability to, to, um, to uh, being willing to make mistakes. I think Theodore Roosevelt said it, that without short, shortcomings, there is no effort. Um, and then uh, the, the, the piece on, um, you know, using your people, the talents that your people have, you know, let your people be creative. Know your people well. And if you don't know your people, that's that's mistake number one. Go go get to know your people. Learn what they're capable of. Be willing to let them, uh, give them a little leash. Let them take a little bit of control, creative control and figure out how to work through the problems that, they're go- that you've got for them. Um, and you'd be surprised what they can do for you. Um, some of the leaders, the best leaders I ever, I ever had, all they did for me, was give me top cover to just go do what I needed to do. That was it. Like they, they just kept everybody else out of my hair, gave me the task and then let me go, let me go do it. Um, so, so many lessons in leadership here. And uh, Alan, I thank you for coming on uh, this week. I'm looking forward to uh, the next episode and what we got to talk about there. Um, so until then, uh, remember folks, there's a King who loves you and is willing and he wants to see you reach your greatest potential. And he's offering anybody with a heart willing to pick up their battle armor a place in the King's Guard.